And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to The Audible. I am Stuart Mandel, joined by Bruce Feldman. We have on one of our all-time favorite Audible guests, Coach Dave Wanstead, for you here in just a little bit. Um, But off the top, Bruce and I have to address something, and it's going to be a little bit shocking for people to hear, but uh, this is probably going to be our last podcast together. What are you saying to me, Stu? Is it something I said? Well, I just woke up one morning and I was like, you know what? I really don't like Bruce that much. Why do I keep doing, why do I keep forcing myself to talk about football with him twice a week? Wow. Okay. Well, it's, it sucks to find something out like this way, but. <laughs> Did you, should uh, I have, should we, I have. We got to move on. Should I have uh, made those feelings known to you before I broadcast it to the world? Yes, you should have. At least send me a text, the, the noble thing that most guys do. Okay, um, let's. That's a joke, everybody. That was a joke. That last part was a joke. The part about us probably, this probably being the last episode of The Audible was not a joke. No, and also I think, Stu, I think, I don't know if anybody picked up on it. Probably they didn't about a week ago when you said, hey, if you're not going to get your questions into the mailbag, uh, maybe this is the week to do it. And so on Monday, there was an announcement that came out of FoxSports.com about a philosophical shift in the website and it in fact impacts uh everyone who worked there or, or past tense and, as well as as you and myself and uh so we've we've gotten a decent amount of questions from people either dming us the ones that we know or texting us or some people just tweeting at us and and so we should probably res- clear up as much as we can clear up at this point going forward in our individual Situation. Yeah. So in terms of the, the direction FoxSports.com is taking where, I mean, there are articles out there you can find pretty easily, but basically written content is really not a part of that site anymore. So obviously us being writers, that affects us individually, but we're in slightly different situations. So Bruce, do you want to talk about yours first? Yeah. So it's uh, my contract with Fox had ended uh, uh, at the end of April. And so I, as I've said this before on, on the podcast, I was very happy with the direction things are going on the TV side with what I'm doing. And I'm grateful for the opportunities Fox has given me. I mean, I've been able to do stuff that at Fox that I was not able to get a chance to do at ESPN or at CBS. And whether it's doing features or different kinds of reporting, uh, but I've also been able to to got thrown into being a sideline reporter and really, really love it. And I'm excited about the direction of that. And that's going to continue and it's going to grow. Um, the writing side was, was a different piece of this. And that's really what I got into the business doing. Um, and in the short term, I was like thinking, okay, how's this going to work out? Because what happens if I have news to break and some of the stories were 
bigger and some of the stories were smaller. And, you know, in the interim, I basically was posting stuff on my Facebook page. And so a lot of people would started to notice it and they were like, Hey, uh, why are you posting news stories on your Facebook page these days? And, you know, I answered at one point to somebody, I was, I was like, well, because I forgot my login for my MySpace page and I don't know <laughs> where else to do with it. So, uh, going forward, I think I'll have some news sh- shortly that I can kind of, uh, fill people in on not in the not too distant future as far as the writing side. But, um, I'm excited that I'll be, you know, this is the best schedule that Fox has had and Fox FS1 has had in college football. And I feel like I'm a big part of that. And I'm, like I said, I'm really thankful for that. Um, you know, we had our friend Tim Brando on. Uh, a couple of weeks ago and I really enjoyed working with Tim and our, our crew last year. And so, um, I'll have some more details hopefully in the next week or two, but, uh, you know, just not from my end, I, I've really loved doing the audible. It's been fun. Just, you know, I feel like we have a very easy, uh, conversation and, you know, it's worked out really well when I got to Fox, I wasn't plan, you know, like I, when I was hired at Fox, I don't think I knew you were going to end up there. And so I started doing the podcast. I don't know if I had done it for a month or two months before we kind of jumped into it. It just felt very natural and it grew. And we're really thankful because how um, loyal the listeners have been to you guys, not just with the questions we get, but just the following and the people who who reach out to us both in the business um, and outside of it. And I've had people come up to me at the gym, even talk to me about the Audible. And that's the thing they know about. And that's really cool. It's kind of surprising because, you know, it feels very, very informal and in how we've done it. And the sound quality isn't always that great. And that's more. It's not very great that. right now, by the way. It's not. And that's more my fault, I would say, because the technology and the the uh, web connection that I'm able to get here where I live is probably not as good as it should be. But um, but anyway, that's my my three cents of it. Stu, I think I curious to know how you're going to address this. Well, I mean, we've been kind of holding out on people for a long time because we had to, but you know, and this is referenced in one of the stories that's out there today. You and I have pretty much known unofficially this is the direction things were headed since as far back as a few days after the college football national championship game. Um, that's when it was first articulated to the staff that this was the direction Fox was going. And at the time it was like, okay, well, I don't know if I'm going to be writing for FoxSports.com after my contract ends, but my contract didn't end for another five months. Uh, It actually ends next week. So, all right, I got time to figure out my next plans. What I could not have anticipated at that time was that in the months that followed, ESPN.com would lay off 100 writers, SI would lay off really good writers, Yahoo, uh, you name it. It's just been a brutal, brutal year for our industry. Um, so like I said, my time at foxsports.com is coming to an end next week and I'm very optimistic right now. Um, I've had conversations that would indicate there may be some pretty cool opportunities coming. Um, I fully plan to be writing about college football when the 2017 season kicks off. I may disappear for a little while in the meantime. Um, but yeah, I'm optimistic about what's coming next in terms of the podcast. You know, look, I, like I said, as of July 6th, I'm no longer an employee there. But obviously, if Bruce and I are going to be writing for different places now, different companies, then this podcast cannot continue in its present form. That being said, 
we both really want to keep doing a podcast, if that's at all. Well, certainly I'm going to do a podcast, and I'm sure you are too. It would be preferable if we could keep doing it together because, like you said, I mean, we really like doing it, and all the uh, feedback we get is that you guys really like listening to it. It's funny because when I first started doing podcasts at SI, it was really just like something you did on the side, right? You're just doing it for fun. You don't even know if people are listening. And during my time at Fox over the last three years, it's become more and more central to my job to the point where, kind of like you said, I mean, I get more people coming up to me, texts, DMs, whatever, about the Audible than I do about the stuff I write, which is fantastic. Uh, it's great that we've built up such a following and you guys enjoy it. And so, I mean, it would just be a shame if we can't continue it together, but it might not be possible. There are contracts involved. It's, it's complicated and we would be just, that's about as all I can get into at this point. But I will say this, do not unsubscribe to this podcast. And if you haven't already unsub- if you haven't already subscribed, do so now. Because if there's any chance this thing will continue in some other form, there's a very good chance, maybe it's in a different name, a different form, I don't know, that you would still show up in your feed when it resumes. Uh, just it won't necessarily be the audible. Um, if not, I would just urge you to continue following us on social media. I'm SL Mandel. You are Bruce Feldman, CFB. That is correct. Yes. On Twitter, on Facebook, I am Stuart Mandel, the writer. You are. I don't even know. I don't even know. Why don't you look that up? It might be helpful. Because as soon as we know what we're doing, we'll be telling you guys what we're doing. And we hope to be able to pick things back up, certainly in time for the 2017 season, if not sooner. But if this is, in fact, the last Audible, we certainly like really appreciate uh, that you guys have invested all your time in listening to it. It's obviously a lot different than reading an article for two minutes to, to listen for an hour and sometimes two hours a week. And all the great emails you've sent us, uh, all the thanks to all of the great guests that have come on. You know, I mean, the, the great coaches that come on on signing day, all of our Fox Sports TV colleagues have come on at one time or another, all of our writer friends have come on at one time or another. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. And whatever happens in the future, I will certainly leave Fox with absolutely no regrets and just had such a great time working here. Wow, I'm getting sad just the way you're, you're walking away, Stu. Um, but not quite yet because we've got one more podcast guest yet. to do. So we're going to bring on Coach and then we'll come back at the end for a few parting words. All right, we are pleased to be joined by one of, if not the most popular guests in the history of, of the Audible, our friend Dave Wanstead, who is, Coach, what do you do all summer? What do I do all summer? Well, let, 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 me, let me start with this. I'm not golfing, okay? I, I should be golfing. I went out and played yesterday, and the way I hit the ball, uh, it's, it's very obvious I'm not spending enough time doing that. But you know what? This because of Fox having the Super Bowl this year, I really uh, and I do as you guys know. You know, I do the NFL show, and then I went down and worked the Super Bowl this year. Did some shows, so I really, you know, the year was extended for everybody with Fox Sports, and uh, really didn't get down here until February. And um, I did a couple of speaking things. I, I I never been to Calgary, Canada, and I went up there and spoke to. Uh, uh, and a big sports banquet up there that Jay and Dan led me, uh, that helped set me up, uh, former guys that used to work at Fox. 
So I do a little bit of speaking to a few groups, a little bit of motivational, a little bit of storytelling. And, uh, and then really just try to catch up a little bit down here with some family and friends. We have a lot of visitors. This is a place that, uh, as you, as you guys, if, if you ever get to Florida, the, the, the cold months are really up until about June, you get a lot of visitors from the North, particularly from Pittsburgh. Coach, for people who can't foot the $50,000 Dave wants that speaker fee. Give us a go-to uh, story you, you use at, at, at one of these engagements. Well, you know, the, the, usually I, you try to find out, obviously, what, what the message is. And, and is, is it a charity event where, you know, for kids, is it, uh, you know, the one I did in Calgary was great because it, it was, a, I was really talking to the, the big sponsor, sponsors of, uh, uh, you know, University of Calgary uh, College, and there were there were some people there. In fact, the head coach up there, his dad was an All-American Hall of Fame player at Arkansas, so I had some stories with Jimmy and Jerry, and uh, it, um, uh, and, and then I get into the stories. You know, they, they want to hear, obviously, about, you know, I, I was involved in two very unique situations, when you think about it, in, in college, you know, at Pitt. Uh, we were, we were a one win team and two, three win team. And then four years later, we won a national championship, you know, a very quick turnaround there in 76 with Johnny majors. I was part of it as a player and then part of it as a coach. And then obviously we went to the Cowboys and we were one in 15 on the worst team in the league. And then four years later, uh, you know, we win a Super Bowl. So, you know, there's obviously a lot of storylines from, when we were at the bottom to when we got at the top. And it, it depends on, on what the, uh, you know, the, the feel or the crowd is and uh, what, what the audience, uh, I can go a lot of different directions. When do you know if you can use the profanity or when do you keep it in your back pocket? I, oh, I, I don't. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I, that's for the VIP party. Okay. That's how you do it. You know what I mean? That's special. You, you give you have a little VIP party ahead of time, a few cocktails, and you, and you really get, as Jerry Jones says, you get down to the red meat. So, Coach, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is um, Sports on Earth recently did a great story looking back. It is now the 10th anniversary of the wildest college football season of our lifetimes, the 2007 season where everybody got upset, and you played a huge part in this. So, we, we, You've told the story to us before. We want you to set the scene for the listeners. It's the last week of the 2007 season. I'll let you take it from there. Right. Yeah, now why, let, let me ask you one question. I saw something where they rated the, 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 uh, the games that had the biggest impact. Or the yeah, I think this was game. that. Yeah. How, how, yeah. how was Pitt, West Virginia not number one? I don't understand it. I mean, as far as the impact that, that we made on – on the college football season that year and, and years after really, uh, it's, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I guess it's, it's all a matter of, of opinion, but, uh, no, and everybody knows that, you know, the backyard brawl, we play West Virginia and that's the big rivalry. Pitt hasn't played Penn state. They're picking them up on the schedule. Now, obviously we know they played them last year. They're going to play them this year, but there was a big span of years there where, Pitt and Penn State did not play. So the real rivalry, and actually from a distance standpoint, for the listeners that don't realize this, to get to Morgantown, you know, if, if you're coming in from any distance, you have to land at the, at the Pittsburgh International Airport. And then you drive, it's about 75 miles, a little over an hour, 
you drive down to Morgantown. So from, from a uh, logistics standpoint, location-wise, Pitt, West Virginia, our players will get down there on the weekends. Uh, their players will come to Pittsburgh on the weekends. Where Penn State's about three, a little over three hours away. So it, there is a difference there. So the the rivalry uh, it was going on a hundred years. And and what I would do, you know, I played in that game obviously every year as a player there, coached in it a bunch of years. I would bring in every day. You know, they, they don't want to hear my stories. And I had you know Matt Cavanaugh was on the staff and and Paul Dunn. I had some guys on the staff that that had played in that game also. So we we filter in a little bit of that. We we start the week with uh, John Denver, you know, take me home, West Virginia. So we're playing that song in in the locker room, on the practice field, in the meeting rooms. I mean, you're sick of it. But after about two days, we play it the length of the week. I think Johnny Major started that back when I was a player, and uh, I, I knew how much I hated it then. So I continued that tradition. And then what I would do is I would bring in a player. Uh, every day, you know, and that's the one thing in college football right now. I think, you know, there's so much movement. It's, it's really crazy how players jump around and everybody's leaving early. And, and a lot of times players don't really have an opportunity to experience the great traditions of some of these universities. So I felt I was feeling that at Pitt. So what I did, I brought in Dave Havern was a quarterback there. I brought in different players every day. And then one day, I pulled out the tape of the 1970 when Pitt was down, when Pitt came back and won 35-36. Bobby Bowden was the coach. Uh, in, in fact, he talks about that being one of the worst losses. Keep in mind, you we know how long Bobby coached and all the ups and downs, and great national championships. He talks about that comeback loss to Pitt. They were winning 35-3 to or 35-10 to or something at halftime. I can't remember the exact score, and Pitt came all the way back and beat him 36-35 in Pitt Stadium. And and I was a freshman that year. I didn't, didn't play in the game, but I was there. And uh, so I put that tape on, and I showed our players. And, and then uh, and then I talked to them about the atmosphere down there and, and tried to make it real clear that, hey, this is going to be an experience that, that you guys will never have again. You're going to go in and there's going to be rocks and the and beer bottles being you know thrown off the bus, and it's it's going to be as as uh, exciting and and a type that type of atmosphere as you're going to get. I took every player on the trip. We had about 35 players that were redshirting. You know the Henry Hanoskis guy played for the Jabal Shears. You know uh, Dion wasn't with us yet. Jabal Shears, Greg Romeus. These players, I took them all down there, uh, and they were redshirt. I wanted every player to really ride through this thing and experience this player, uh, this game. And West Virginia at the time, they were number two unanimous. In some polls, they were number one. They already had the banner hanging up on their hotel at the Hilton in New Orleans for the national championship game. So I got all this information being fed to me all week. Didn't make too much about it. But I just tried really impressing upon our players the importance of this game and how exciting it would be. So we get down to the game, and then who's down there? But the Big East. We were in the Big East Conference at the time. And the commissioner, Mike Trangizi, is down there, and they got the Big East trophy. And they've got all this stuff lined up on the sidelines. I mean, it was it – was we were a four-touchdown underdog, and it was a far foregone conclusion that, you know, they, we had no chance. Yeah, and let's then, set up, can we set it up one 
one quick thing, Coach. So you yeah. were a 28 and a half point Let's underdog the week before the pit game. West Virginia crushed UConn, who was number 20 in the country. They scored 42 points in the second half, had over 500 yards rushing, won 66 to 14 over the number 20 team in the country. That win clinched the Big East title. Uh, as I said, 28 and a half point underdogs you guys were, and it was the 100th edition of the game. There we go. Good. Thank, thank you. That's, that's why you guys uh, are reporters. You know, you got the facts. Okay. So, so now, you know, here we are and uh, uh, going back to the week of practice, you know, you, you're trying to set up a game plan and they were really good. I mean, you know, we were, we were just starting to build it up. LaShawn McCoy was in his first year. We had a freshman, a true freshman, Pat Bostic at quarterback. Uh, you know, a lot of, you know, I think we were playing six, eight freshmen at the time. You know, we were just, just trying to build this thing up and get back on track. So I made practice and this is a real interesting story. Paul Rhodes was my defensive coordinator. You guys know, Paul was the head coach at Iowa state. He's a defensive coordinator at the university of Arkansas right now. And I, and I would always stand on the offensive practice field, watch that live. And then I, after practice, I would sit in the defensive room and go through the tape with the defensive coaches. Cause that's right. I spent most of my time. Okay. So I'm watching offensive practice and I look over at Paul in the defense and he's got them lined up and they're going through tackling drills. I, okay. You know, we, we, but we better tackle, you know, and it's, it was part of the practice early in the year. I look at the schedule. Okay. Yeah. We got tackling. So now 15, 20 minutes go by. I'm watching I'm into the offense now. And I look back over and they're lined up doing a different type of tackling drill. Hmm. That's strange turn away, make a comment to somebody on off, turn back. They're doing another tackling drill. So I said, what is going on? We haven't run one West Virginia play yet. So I walk over to the field and I said, Paul, come here. I said, what are we doing? And he says, coach, you know, I've been listening to what you've been saying all week. You know, I, how explosive these guys are, how, you know, big plays at Pat White at receiver and Slayton at running back on and on and on. And he says, if we don't tackle, it doesn't make any difference what defense we run. So I thought I'd just tackle most of the practice and do everything we can to emphasize getting these guys on the ground. I, I said, you, you know, we got to be out of our minds. Think about it. So he says, well, so we kept the game plan real simple. We blitzed more in that game, and we forced one-on-one situations. And we were the mentality was you were either going to make the play or your guy, nobody else, we're not going to blame it on anybody else, your guy was going to give up the home run and possibly the game. So now we go, uh, we get down, and the game starts, and the first play, they had a big defensive end. I can't remember his name. He was a really good player. He was a high draft pick. And we had a big tackle named Jeff Ota, who was the first pick in the draft, big offensive tackle for the Carolina Panthers. And everybody's on the sideline. We got the ball first, and we run off tackle, and – and I don't know if we made any yards or not, but all I see is Jeff Ota and this big defensive end for West Virginia. They are about 10 yards downfield, and it's helmets off, and it's the gloves are off, as they say in the hockey game. And there's, and there's the, the yellow flags are flying by the officials, and the first play, we got two guys slugging each other from each team. And our players just ignite, their players ignite the crowd. You, you got to, you know, it's at night in Morgantown. I mean, it, it, was, it, it was a sight that, uh, that doesn't happen very often. And, and then our guys, for what, and then we started just making plays. And, and during the course of the game, well, we, I tell you what, our quarterback, 
God bless him, Pat Bostic. He's the assistant AD now, Pitt. He threw a pick or two, and I, you know, and I'm trying to, you know, uh, you guys know me. I had a, I had a short fuse for for a quarterback turning the ball. <laughs> you over. think? You know what I mean? It, 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 it didn't last long with me. That's probably why I'm not coaching now. That's my biggest fault. So he threw an interception or two, and, and I told Matt Cavanaugh, I said, I, that's enough. I've seen all that. I said, let's go to Wildcat, and I don't care if nobody touches the ball the rest of the game except LaShawn McCoy. Pump him the ball. So LaShawn ended up the game with about 43-something, around 40 carries and two broken ribs. But uh, anyway, so we, so we started off and we're pumping that ball to McCoy and banging it up in there and punting the ball and playing defense. And you work on things as a coach. And this is very interesting. Now, this is my uh, third year at Pitt. Second, second year at Pitt, I think it was. And uh, we, third year. We, so we're, uh, uh, we work every week on the fake punt. We work every week on taking a safety. And in that game, we call a fake punt and we make it. And the game ends with us taking a safety and our punter running out of the back of the end zone and the game expiring. And I got a, I got a picture of when, uh, it, when the clock hit zero. I got it in my office right here. And it's a sight to be seen. I'll tell you what, it's uh, just, just crazy. Just crazy. Best win of your coaching career? Uh, you know what? It, it was, it, it's, it, it's one of the top five. And you know what's funny? We're, we're riding out, okay? And uh, uh, the game and everybody's screaming and hollering, you know, all that stuff. And uh, we're, the buses, you know, the buses are quiet pretty much, you know, from a fan perspective, you can imagine. A little shock treatment there. But then going in in the buses, and this is, I think really had an impact. And I and I've told this story, and we're going in, and they're banging on the buses. You know, the, everything that I told the guys was going to happen. I mean, I experienced it about ten times myself. And and Lashawn McCoy, there's silence on the bus. And Lashawn McCoy, he kind of stands up and says, "Hey, coach." I said, "What's up, Shady?" And he said, "This is just like you told us it would be." You know, and all the players, and they start chatting, and it kind of broke the ice with everything. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think our guys were surprised. They missed mm. kicks, and they turned the ball over. We knocked Pat White out of the game. He hurt his stuff. So, you know, to, to win a game like that, the ball has to bounce right. But uh, it was a great win, and then we had a, there was a bunch of recruits on the field, and I think we got eight commitments after that game because Rich Rod and I used to bang heads on the same players. You know, they recruited Pittsburgh hard. And we would go into West Virginia because of the location. And I think we got eight recruits out of that. And uh, uh, that, was a, that was a major turning point for our program. No question about it. By the way, Coach, I think the player who got into it with OTA was Johnny Dingle. Does that name ring a bell? Yeah, it could have it, it been. Yes, he was a good football yeah. player. I know that. Very, yeah, really, really, good player, really productive but, yep. pass rusher from Miami. He said he had 19 tackles for loss that year. Yeah, and they and they called offsetting penalties, so it was just like the old NFL days, you know, let them fight a little bit and don't penalize anybody. So it was, oh yeah, it was a perfect setup, you know. But and I, and I had a ruptured Achilles, so I was on picture, I was on crutches on the sidelines, okay, and I busted two pair of crutches. I'm, you know, every call, <laughs> I'm screaming like a lunatic, and the doctor said, you know, he's behind me saying, Coach, stay off that thing, because I had just been operated on. Oh. I don't know, a couple of weeks before that. The next day, guys, I went hobbled into the training room. The, the Sean was in there. That's when I found out he had all his broken ribs. He's laying on one table. 
and the doctor looked at my ankle and my ankle was as big as my thigh. I mean, it had, and they said, you're so, you know, obviously that, that wasn't good for my Achilles, uh, rehab. Coach, I want to ask you a question. Maybe I should have asked it offline to know if it's okay, but, uh, I was at, at Pitt this spring and, uh, you know, there's, there's some pictures of you in the, in the place and obviously it's your alma mater. You coach there. Um, how do you feel about Pittsburgh now? You, you know what? I, uh, it's, it's home. Okay. And it's, it's my school. I am a Pat Narduzzi fan. I mean, to the, to the day. And, uh, you know, I, I haven't, and I got a lot of, a lot of guys that work for me, uh, or work are still working there in the administration. But there's a lot of guys that are working there and involved in the program that I really don't have, have any interest in, uh, have having any association with it this time. So, you know, there's, it, it's kind of hot and cold that way. I'll be honest with you guys, but, uh, I love what Narduzzi's doing. Anything I can do to help that football program. I'm on board and, uh, and I'm a Pittsburgher. I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan. I'll, I'll help them and do what I can do. Coach. It, just one more thing about that game. So for us watching on TV fans around the country, that was the most chaotic night I can remember because, and for fans who may be not too young or don't remember it, you know, this was the number one and two teams in the country, and this is the BCS, not the playoff. The number one and two teams, Missouri and West Virginia, lose on the last night of the season, and it's just pure chaos. All right, well, who's going to go to the game now? Ohio State seemed an obvious choice because they, I think, were the only team left with one loss at that point. And then it was just everybody's debating and end up being LSU. When you're actually coaching in the game, though, how much, if anything, are you – aware of that like wow we just messed up the national title scene no you, you know what Stu, you're, you're you're not at all in fact i i wasn't even sure who else was in contention you know but i will say this i this is the honest to god truth i got more congratulations coach we love you we appreciate it emails from lsu fans than i did <laughs> fans or anybody else it was it was unbelievable i mean they were coming in on my computer like it was on fire and, and and then here's here's another story to add to it. Now fast forward, you know, five six years, I'm coaching at the Buffalo Bills, and we bring in this linebacker from oh god, let me uh, he's still playing in the league, Osteron. We drafted him in the fourth round. Uh, he started in the middle for us. He was an LSU linebacker, and then he went to the Colts, and then I think he went to the Dolphins for a short time. Um, oh, he's a three year starter down there. I'll think of his name here in a second, but. Uh, he comes in, you know, we bring in all these recruits and stuff. Look at how many Bruce's we're talking. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and Shepard, Shepard, Shepard was his name. Shepard. Um, uh, so yeah. we bring it, we bring in Shepard. Okay. And, uh, he, uh, uh, Calvin we're Shepard. having dinner. What's Cal- that? Calvin Shepard. It's Calvin Shepard. Cal- Calvin Shepard. Correct. So I'm having dinner in Buffalo with Calvin Shepard. And, you know, we got our list of, of questions that, that we want to ask for the GM and so forth. And I said, let me ask you something. What was the most exciting thing that happened to you at LSU? What was the most exciting experience in your college career? And he says, he said, coach, you, you, you're not going to believe this one. I said, what? He says, we're on an airplane and we're flying back. And I forget where they played. And he, the pilot comes on the airplane and says, Pitt just beat West Virginia 13 to nine. And he said, 
our airplane, he said, Coach, it got on the ground. He said, there, the <laughs> plane went crazy. Now, he's, and I said, oh, really? God, that's a great thing. I says, who do you think the coach at Pitt was at that game? And he looks at me and says, I don't know. I says, I was. He didn't even know. We're sitting there having dinner, and we laughed about it, and we ended up drafting him, and I coached him for a year or two there before, uh, before we left. Yep, Calvin Shepard. I think Kelvin Shepard's jersey would hang in the avocado room forever. If when you said, who do you think coached him? And if he had just said Todd Graham. (laughs) 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 Oh, I love it. Oh, I love it. You know what? It's business is crazy. And uh, yeah, you know, I actually, when I took the picture, Jeff Long and and I'm, you know, Jeff and I still stay in touch. He's down there at Arkansas doing a fantastic job. So, uh, Things happen in this profession, and, and you, you just keep going forward, and uh, you work hard. And, uh, you know, I believe this all along. Someone told me a long time ago, don't give, don't give anybody any reasons other than wins and losses to get rid of you. You know what I mean? Because you can get over the wins and losses. It's part of the game. You know, real football people know that crazy things happen in circumstances. Don't give them any reason other than that. And I've, I've tried to stay true to that pretty much my whole career. Well, and speaking of that, Coach, so you speak in terms of, like, the consequences of that game. Yes, the main one was LSU gets into the national title game. But you know what else? Like, you may have helped cause Les Miles to not get the Michigan job and stay at LSU and Rich Rod to go to Michigan. Because if West Virginia had gone to the national title game, they probably wouldn't have been able to hire him to, to Michigan. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I'm, I was shocked. As anybody's when Richard left, because he he owned the state of West Virginia. You know, I, I, I that was a um, yeah that that was a shocker. It really was, and uh, uh, yeah, it, it affected uh, for several years. Like you say, the whole landscape with a lot of different jobs with with universities, and and who knows how much money some of these schools lost or or made or whatever. And uh, um, it was an interesting. Uh, an interesting outcome for that game as far as how, how it did affect college football. Coach, I wanted to ask you, since you know you, you bounced around some like most football coaches now, do in your I'm career. Throw, let me catch you off. Let me catch you off. Tony Dorsett, okay. Heisman Trophy winner, right? One of the greatest players ever played. He was thrown out of one football game his entire career. Who was it against? West Virginia in the backyard brawl. Okay, go ahead, Bruce. Anyway. I got okay. these things. That he gets pretty fired up when he's talking okay. about the backyard brawl. Absolutely. My senior year, let me give you another one. This might have been the turning point for Johnny Majors. I talked about John, Coach Majors winning. I'm, I'm one of the captains. It's, it's our senior year. We're like, uh, you'd have to look this up. Bobby Bowden is still the coach. It was the last year that Bobby coached there. Okay, and this would have been 73, I guess it would have been. And we were, and they were like three and one, maybe we were two and one out, something like that. So it was, it was a huge game, okay, in the snake pit down in old Morgantown Field. And uh, Joe Avizano, God bless his soul. You guys know Joe. Yeah, Joe special teams guy, coach. right? Yep. Wasn't he the special teams guy, though? Yeah. Coach. Yes, he was special teams guy at Dallas and Oakland, you know, one of the best in the business. And uh, Joe was my line coach at Pitt. So we go into uh, into play him. 
and there was a defensive lineman named Brown. I think it was Donnie Brown or Danny Brown. It's a kid I was going to play over. And we had banged heads for, for three years. He was a good player, too. And, uh, I go into my locker, and there's a telegram, Western Union. I open a telegram up, and it said, hey, Dave Wanstead, welcome to Morgantown. I'm looking forward to giving you a good old-fashioned West Virginia ass-kicking. Danny Brown. Well, I opened this thing. I'm, I'm one of the captains, you know. And so I, I got the offensive line. I said, hey, Ray, I call the guy. Hey, Donnie, come here. Jerry, Jerry, come here. Timmy, come here. Take a look at this. Do you guys believe this? So I stick it in my sock. I swear to God. We go out. I play lights out. We win the game 35-16 or something. It's a big, huge win for us. The game's over. I had stuck that thing in my sock. I walk up to Donnie Brown after the game, and we played again. We knew each other. Yeah, we played against each other for three years. I went up on you. Yeah, good game. I said, hey, here's your telegram back. He looks at it. What are you, are you, are you out of your mind? You know, and he walks away. And we go in. I get the game ball. I still got it right here. And uh, after the game, Joe Avizano comes out, and he's laughing like crazy. So are the rest of the offensive linemen. I said, what are you guys doing? Joe said, we got you, coach. You took the you know, hook, line, and sinker on the telegram. I said, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> Joe Avizano sent me the telegram and had it hanging in my locker, did the whole thing, and the rest of the <laughs> offensive linemen all were in on it. They all knew about it. Yeah. So, so knowing that, with that backdrop, how many times did do you try to use some kind of motivational ploy that you kind of created to mess with the head of one of your own players to get them even more riled up? Well, you know, you know what? I, I, I would bring back – I could do it myself. I mean, we could talk about this for the rest of the day. But uh, I would bring – that was my thinking of bringing in a lot of ex-players. You, you know what I mean? Uh, and, and I was fortunate because I had some guys on my staff. Paul Dunn, who played on that great offensive line with uh, Bill Freilich and Russ Grimm and all those guys. So he was part of some great games. Obviously, Matt Cavanaugh, who was – you know, played for, you know, he's the offensive coordinator of the Redskins right now. Matt was our offensive coordinator. He was the MVP in the national championship game. So they all had their own little stories. And I just thought that uh, by mixing it in that way, that it really, you know, it just wasn't a coach standing up there talking to his players, whereas his player says, oh, oh, you know, coaches, because coaches can be a little bit dramatic, as you can imagine, on stories when they're trying to get their players fired up. You bring somebody in that's a businessman in time to do something different, and he starts telling the same stories. I always thought that was a nice – and I would never do it for any other game except that one. You did it for Coach, that one because it brought it into focus. Coach, any truth to the rumor that you sent a Photoshopped image of Kate Abdo reading a Phil Steele guide and sent it to Rob Stone and said, with the line, step it up? No, you didn't I, even... did <laughs> I did not. But, but, but I do – Phil, Phil Steele, I do use his book. That's my book, you know. But uh, but no, I uh, I've told Rob Stone to step it up a bunch, but I haven't photo and I don't do all that stuff. You you, you just made things too complicated, right there. Well, that was kind of a random question, Bruce. Coach, do you even know who Kate Abdo is? <laughs> uh, no, I don't. no, I, I no. wouldn't. I mean, and, she's uh, one of your she's well, one of your. I never even got. I, you know what? Stuff. I didn't even focus on that part because I don't do the. Photo, would you say Photoshop? What, what, yeah, what photo, term do you use? Photoshop. Yeah, like take photo. a picture of it and send it. I can do that. Is that what you're talking about? No. I, I didn't even get the end of it because I don't do that stuff. 
Let, let me ask you this, Coach, before we run out of time here. we got to get one more amazing story out of you. you. That's why coaches meet till You know that's why coaches are meeting. I told you guys this, till 3 in the morning, because of all this high-technology stuff, right? And all it does is give you the same information that we used to get in four hours. Now, now you can get everything. Oh, God. Guys sit there till 1 in the morning. Somebody's got to use this equipment. Anyway, go ahead. So, in other words, if you were still coach, you realize if you were still coaching, you would have to spend a lot of your time tweeting recruits. Uh, you know what? I felt a. How do you think I learned how to text? When I was at Pitt, it was open warfare on texting. And you asked Jan this, my wife, next time you see her, she would wake me up at one o'clock in the morning and say, hey, turn your phone off, go to sleep. And my phone would be laying on my chest. Because, you know, I, I, I was going to sleep at 10 o'clock at night. And these players uh, would be, they'd still be on the phone texting with me. I'd have about four texts going on, and I'd be sound asleep, and my phone would be on my chest. So give that some thought. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, Coach, <laughs> speaking of recruiting, back in your assistant coach days, it was the wild, wild west. There weren't all the strict regulations on recruiting that there are now. What's the craziest recruiting story from your career? Oh, boy. Yeah, I got one here that, that I thought we had. I, I, in fact, he's a he's the, the guy was doing great. He's the hitting coach right now for the New York Yankees, Alan Cockrell. You guys ever hear him? He was the number one quarterback in the country. Other than yeah, Tennessee Peyton Manning, yeah. other than Peyton Manning, there's only one other true freshman at that point that started as a true freshman. It was Alan Cockrell. He hurt his knee from Joplin, Missouri. And he was the guy that I really thought could – we ended up signing a receiver from the same school, and uh, we thought we had him. I mean, we I, – I was – and he was excited about us. And then the last weekend, I came back and went back up to see him Monday to get him to sign the papers, and uh, he was gone. No one could find him. And everybody said that he was uh, – we find out, the story goes, okay? And, you, you know, with these recruiting stories, everything is the story goes. You know, no one really admits anything. But the story goes that he was with a Oklahoma alum all weekend, and they were hiding him out. So he – Oklahoma didn't even want him because he was not a wishbone quarterback. But they didn't want him to go to Oklahoma State, so they were helping Tennessee. And so the kid ends up going to Tennessee with, with Johnny Majors was the head coach. Just crush me. Crush me. Yes. And I'm that sure was it was all different angle, you know. And I'm sure it was all clean and above board, right? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, for, for us it was. Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes, but no, the stories are uh oh, they're they're good. They're good. You know, it's uh but Barry Switzer, we had tough competition. You know, I it uh, Barry Switzer was as good a head re- recruiting coach as everybody, and those players were coached. And it was Oz, Coach Osborne at Nebraska. It was big. It was the old Big Eight back then. Now the Big Twelve. It was it was it was tough. Uh, was not easy. Not easy. Hey, hey! Before we wrap up, I just want to ask you. This came up one of the, one of the guys who used to used to coach Alonzo Highsmith, who's a longtime NFL scout. I saw on Twitter he had a back and forth, and not to say it was you know they were just kind of kind of extolling the greatness of Jerome Brown, who you coached and who ended who is not in the College Football Hall of Fame, um, and it's funny because there's an older coach I know who who coached against him, and I in the wake of Stu and I did this uh, podcast a couple months ago about the greatest fifty players in the last fifty years, and I asked this coach, it was 
we were talking about linebackers, and I asked him about Brian Bosworth versus Chris Spielman and a few other guys, and I said, who is the greatest player you ever, defensive player you ever faced? And he said, Jerome Brown. Uh, you were around a ton of great coaches, a ton of, ton of great players. Hey, I am, I, I am on record with this, Bruce. The greatest player that I ever coached was Jerome Brown. And I've said this for the last 10 years. And I was very fortunate, very blessed. I have Russell Maryland, Cortez Kennedy, God rest his soul, uh, you know, Jason Taylor, Richard Dent, Charles Haley. I've been around some, Leon Left, I've been around some great Hall of Fame defensive linemen. Drummond was the most dominant player that I ever coached. What made him so special as a, as an, as a player? He had the strength of, I don't know, name, you know, a, a Joe Green type of strength. Uh, he had the quickness of, you know, I'm trying to think who, uh, one of the quick, you know, he, he could run 4 8, 4 I mean, 7. He had the quickness of, of the fastest players, but he had, he had a nastiness and an attitude about a dominating attitude that, uh, that, None of them had. None of them had. And, and sometimes he had that, you know, off the field. I mean, he, he had the attitude of a Warren Sapp. You know, Warren played that way. But he was stronger than Warren, in my opinion, and, and quicker. You know, but he, 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 he was uh, – I've seen him dominate games himself, really. I mean, it, uh, uh, he, he, I thought he was that kind of a player. Was he – I mean, you, you were around Aaron Donald, right, at Pitt? I re- I recruited Aaron Donald. Wait a minute, was I, did yeah, he, he have Aaron Donald? Aaron Donald actually played for me. Yeah, he was. Uh, I would say you know he had the quickness of Aaron Donald. That's a good comparison. You know he had the strength of of some of the stronger players uh, in the league. You know Aaron's a similar player, uh, but small, very similar player. Yeah, yeah, probably a little bit smaller, but but he would be a good comparison. Good comparison. All right, Coach. Yeah, that was exactly what we were hoping for. A little, a little dose of Coach Wanstead to break up the off season here. But football yeah, season let's, will be let's here get soon. That, let's get that Pitt West Virginia game. That thing should be up higher as far as 2007 games that, that made an impact on college football. What was it? Number seven or something? Come on. I just gave you some history. I wish the guy would have called me beforehand. We'd have got a number one. You know. Well, you're out. You're out on the. Golf course sometimes it's hard you're working on your short game it's hard that's to get right to it. that's uh, exactly right that's exactly where i should be headed to, to practice but uh <laughs> but i'm not so so it is i'm actually you know what next weekend i'm going to back to pittsburgh one of my old quarterbacks who was a backup quarterback andrew Ginoco. he's an offensive assistant for the minnesota vikings he's getting married and the henry hanoskis and all those players from pitt the Dom DeSicos of the world and Deion Lewis's and LaRod Stevens are all coming in for this thing. And so I'm going back. So I'm, I'm going to have a little, little reunion next weekend. Speaking of that's the group of guys and uh, we'll probably do it at, at Chupka's bar down on the South side. So that's where we'll be. Sounds good. And everybody tune into Fox college football studio this fall coach will be all over it with our buddies, Rob Stone, Matt Leiner, Robert Smith, the whole gang. So we look forward to seeing you this fall, Coach. Okay, guys. See you uh, See you in LA. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Coach. Well, Bruce, if this was indeed the last Audible, we wanted to go out with a bang. 
and you can't go out uh, with a bang. I see, your, I see your pun with Dave Wanstead. There you uh, go. Yes, sir. That is his. That is his go-to. Bang. So again, I would encourage you: do not unsubscribe just yet. If if there's going to be a future version of this, you're going to want it to pop into your iTunes or your Google Play or, or wherever you get your podcasts. As I always say, um, before we go, Bruce. I was curious, you know, the stories about this started leaking out the day before we recorded, and I was curious if, our, if it had gotten to our listeners and if we gotten any questions about it, and in fact, we did get at least one, and I just wanted to address it real quick. Uh, this is from Henry Roan in Syracuse, actually Hank in Syracuse, Bruce and Stewart. I've been a longtime reader of the mailbag and started with the podcast a few months ago. I love it, and you guys do a great job. Thank you, Hank. I listened to your last episode when Stuart complained about video pop-ups and how distracting they were. And then he mentions going to a website where every article is now a link to a video. And he asks, are we witnessing the end of written and insightful sports journalism? I hope not, because the two of you are the best writers out there. Well, first of all, thank you. I just want to say, take this opportunity to say to anybody who's listening who, I mean, we know a lot of people in our industry listen to this podcast. To anybody who has either gone through the layoffs at these mass companies lately or fears that they're about to, fears that the industry is dying, all of those things, I have certainly had those thoughts over the last few months, but um, I've kind of come out of it, and I very, I believe very strongly, and I hope you will too, there is still a very strong demand for written sports journalism. Unless I'm living in a complete bubble, most people I know still read, still get their news from reading it online, not necessarily from watching videos. That doesn't mean there isn't room for videos, but there is still very much room for written content. It's just that some companies right now, the model that they've traditionally used to monetize it isn't working, so they're cutting costs and they're cutting writers and all that. But like any industry that gets disrupted, eventually people figure it out, adjust, and restart it. And I don't know how that's going to work here exactly, but I'm very confident that if the current players can't figure it out, new players will emerge. There are a lot of really talented writers out there to be had and certainly more coming up in the ranks. And there's a great opportunity right now for businesses to not cut, but actually invest in good journalism because I do believe there is an audience for it. And so I don't know how long it's going to take for all that to play out. Could be months, could be years. But I really do believe that what we're witnessing right now is extremely unfortunate, but it is temporary and that there will eventually be a rebound and a demand. Well, there is a consumer demand, but eventually a employer demand to start reemphasizing the kind of quality work that you and I like to do. I hope you're right, Stu. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm not as I, honestly, I'm not sure I'm as optimistic as you are uh, with the direction of things but like i said i hope you're right well we've been you know a lot of people when they get laid off it's like comes out of nowhere unfortunately we've like i said known for probably five months this was coming so i've kind of had time to go through the seven stages already i certainly went through my grief phase and my anger phase and all that and right now i'm coming out of it and feeling i don't want to say bullish but maybe a little bit defiant and and because of that, optimistic. And not without reason. You know, I've done a lot of research on this over the last couple months. And I do think that um, things are going to start heading in the right direction very soon. So to your question, Hank, no, I do not think this is the end of written and insightful sports journalism. It may just start showing up in um, non-traditional places. 
is what is the best way I could put it. All right, Bruce, it's been great. It's been a hell of a run. I hope we can do it again soon. Anything you want to add? No, just uh, again, and I, I, you alluded to this, and I think I mentioned it earlier. Just the connection we have with the listeners of this podcast has really been uh, has really been pretty awesome to see it develop and to have people come up to you and, and talk to you about the audible. Um, it's, uh, it's been very surprising because I think you have a diff, like, I think you get a different connection with people because it's way more intimate. It's way more personal. You know, the stories we tend to do, especially in my side, more on the reporting side is just, they're straight, you know? And, you know, I was one who always, you know, when I started blogging at ESPN, I would, I would use the word I and start talking about personal experiences some, but not to the degree that we do on here, I think. And so, and a lot has changed for both of us within those three years. Um, you know, you and I both became parents, you know, in the course of that, um, and have seen our careers kind of, kind of, uh, you know, jump into different directions. And so that has been very interesting while we're watching a lot of other things that are, going on around us change in our industry. So to have that outlet, sometimes I feel like it's a lot, you know, a lot of times there's been some big stories that have happened in college football where, where I used to think, you know, you know what, you're going to write about them. Sometimes I feel like this is the best format to address some of these issues because it's less confining and you can, you have a better sense of tone. And, and sometimes it's not to say that the written format can't be can't suit it suit it very well too because it obviously can but i just think that the way we can just you know kind of bat issues around um and and try to be honest with it and be sincere and maybe go into a level of depth um and empathy for some of these things is different and i'm glad we've been able to to experiment with this format to do that and i'm really thankful for the people who have found the podcast because as we've said a lot the sound quality hasn't you know there's plenty of places that have way better sound quality than we have and it hasn't always been organized it's kind of been swinging from the seat of our pants a lot of times but it's been fun and i'm i'm glad we were able to do it i think my all-time favorite moment is when i broke the news to you that usc had hired lynn swan while you were driving somewhere in alabama and you just (laughs) couldn't believe it um but to your point you know, it's another thing that's been interesting is, you know, we see the numbers and sometimes it's been, like you said, it's a little bit of an experiment. Some episodes and guests that we thought were going to really resonate didn't and some that we would not have expected to be such a huge hit and did become huge hits did. And uh, you know, I think a perfect example of what you're talking about, people may remember we had Gene Chizik on a few months ago right after he decided to just flat out get out of coaching and spend more time with his family. I suppose you could write that as a story. But I think just having him on and having a very um, human conversation about it was probably the best way for him to tell that story. And there are a lot of examples like that. Look, I'm very bullish on podcasts, as you know, and have been for a while. It is a booming form of media, both in terms of the ad revenue that's coming in and the number of people who are listening to them. They are both skyrocketing. It's still, at this point, a relatively small percentage of the population that listens to podcasts. It's only going to get higher because uh, just like how TV has gone on demand, audio is going to go more and more on demand. 
And I think people are not necessarily in a few years going to differentiate between listening to the radio and listening to um, a podcast. So there are some just unbelievable podcasts being made now. Just, you know, you, you Serial is the one everybody references the most, but there have been a lot more kind of in that vein that are just like some of the best journalism I've ever consumed and they happen to be podcasts. So if you've enjoyed this episode, if you've enjoyed this podcast, just take a look around iTunes at some point soon. You're going to find that there is a lot of good stuff out there on pretty much any topic you would want, including college football, of course. And uh, I'm looking forward to being a part of it however I can in the future. I'm certainly not done with podcasting, and I'm sure you feel the same way too. All right. Well, with that, as you said, you can find us on social media. Please keep up with us, and uh, we'll probably have some news that we can really uh, maybe elaborate more on specifics in the coming days and weeks. All right. As I always say, see you next time. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.